This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Alison Tate, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I've got to say, we are having a bit of a laugh. We've just had a pre-podcast laugh because you will probably all know that Alison is a podcaster herself. You guys have got a great podcast called So You Want to Be a Writer Podcast. So we were exchanging podcast notes, weren't we? There's nothing quite like the interview before the interview. I always find it's uh, one of the most entertaining and highlights of my day. And I do so many of them. So that's a good thing, right? Yeah, it is. It has made me a little bit nervous because yours is quite popular. And I'm thinking you're probably going to be a little bit more experienced than I am, but I'm just going to run with it. No, what you have to remember though, and this is something that I laugh about all the time. And in actual fact, I put on my Facebook page this morning that I was going to be interviewed today and everybody laughed because they know that I would much rather ask the questions than answer the questions. I'm so much better at asking them. Right. Okay. Well, you're not to ask me any questions, right? (laughs) Okay. I'll try and hold back. Okay. Alison Tate is the internationally published best-selling author of middle grade adventure series, The Mapmaker Chronicles, and is it the Ataban Cipher? That's right, the Ataban Cipher series. With an impressive suite of skills, being a multi-genre writer, teacher and speaker with many years' experience in magazines, newspapers and online publishing, Alison is also the co-host of the Top Rating, as we just mentioned, So You Want to Be a Writer podcast. Her newest book, The Fire Star, a Maven and Reeve mystery, taps into her passion for historical fiction and adventure. So, wow, you're um, you're quite a busy bee then, Alison. I do like to keep myself occupied. I feel yeah. like that's, um, I think I got into the habit of being 100% busy 100% of the time when I was a journalist and I haven't quite got out of the habit yet. I've just kind of added more things to it. I've added family and I've added, you know, all of that kind of stuff as I've gone along. But I do find I'm more productive when I'm busy. Mm, I find the same. Yeah, 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 I'm the same actually. Now listen, um, I couldn't find that much about you. So, I mean, usually I stalk people online to try and find a bit of information, but there's not uh, obviously, you have been the question asker, and no one's asking you questions out there because I can't find them. Yeah, that is so funny. So, I would have thought I was everywhere. <laughs> well, you are, but there's nothing there of substance other than you asking oh, other people questions. Okay. Not a lot about you. And as you know, our podcast is called Stories Behind the Story. So, how did you come to write this book? So, I want to go right back. Tell me where the passion for writing came from. Passion for writing. I like the fact that I'm an international woman of mystery, by the way. I just like to say that. Um, So it goes back, I think it goes back to 
in in much the same way as it goes with most authors, it goes back to childhood and it goes back to being a voracious reader. I was the cereal box reader. Like I was Mm -hmm. the kid that always had a book in my hand. I would walk to school reading my books and I was, you know, to the point like, you know, parents these days are like, you need to get off your screens. My mum and dad were like, get your nose out of the book, Alison, and go outside. Like it was that kind of, that's the kind of reader that I was. And I've always been a very, very fast and very intense reader. So I'm one of those people that if the book grabs me, I just disappear into it and I mm-hmm. don't come out of it until until that sort of is over. So I think that the passion for writing, like for a long time I was a reader and I used to write at school, you know, like I did all that stuff. I had a poem. Where did you um, grow up? Oh, I grew up in lots of places. I was born in Papua New Guinea. Uh-huh. Uh, we moved to the Northern Territory uh, and mm-hmm. I was in two, I was in Catherine and in Alice Springs in the Northern Territory. And then uh, when I was about 10, we moved to New South Wales. So we moved around a lot as a kid and that's possibly also where my mm-hmm. love of um of books came from. It's certainly, I think, where my love of clubs and secret societies came from because mm. I think I was always drawn to those books where, you know, I was Famous Five and Trixie Belden and, you know, the mystery stories but always with the club attached because I think when you're a kid that I went to five primary schools, you know, when you've been to mm. that many schools, you never really have that association with people that, you know, you read about in books. So I think that that's, that's kind of like where the, the love of reading came from. But I, I didn't actually think that I would be a writer. I didn't think I could be a writer. I had a poem published in when I was about 11 in the local paper about the Anzacs. So I was, a, I was good at writing at school, mm. but I thought writers were, you know, unicorns who lived mm. in turrets in England. Mm and sent, you know, stories from there. So it took me a long time to come to the realisation that it was people that wrote books and mm. that I could be one. Yeah. Mm. Do you know, I, uh, I, I'll tell you this story. I, I published, um, not published, I agented a guy called Majok Tilba, who is a Sudanese refugee mm. who um, came to Australia via Uganda, right, via refugee camp in Uganda. When he first came across stories uh, in terms of a book. I mean, you know, um, the Sudanese are great orators and are great storytellers, but to have seen it in a format, he couldn't work out how that book was published. And he envisaged that somebody would put a machine, this is in his younger days, put a machine to somebody's head and they thought the story and it came out as a book. Oh, I like that idea. Isn't that great? I have I to say, I, I kind of wish that that was the process because <laughs> it would be certainly a lot easier than sitting at my desk, you know, like mm. banging my head against my keyboard, which is kind of what happens some days. It's, you know, writing a book is hard yakka. So the yeah, idea that you could easy. think a book mm. is a pretty attractive one. <laughs> I love that. So tell me then, so you high school, university, when was it you started putting pen to paper? so to speak. When I left school, I did a, I actually did a business course. I was going to go to university and I was a kid in the country at that stage. And I had a chat with a long chat with my dad. And um, I said to my dad, you know, dad, uh, I'm, I've got into, you know, arts at Sydney Uni or whatever I was going to go and do. Um, but to be honest with you, I think I should go and learn how to type. And um, and he sort of looked at me as if to say, have you lost your mind, child? Mm-hmm. Um, but I just said, look, I think I'm going to go to Sydney and have a really, really good time and flunk out in my first year. I was pretty like, you know, I was 
born 40 well let's yeah. face it I was yeah. not your not your average 17 year old so I kind of like got on the first train and went up there and I learned how to do shorthand and typing and I was right because I only just managed to scrape through shorthand and typing with the year that I had in my first year out and then but I got a cadet a great skill to have I mean oh, best thing I ever did yeah. is the fact that I can type as fast as I think and I have mm. to say that that is a huge skill mm. but anyway um, so I, I got a cadetship anyway. The long story short, I worked as a, uh, an assistant at a magazine for a year, got a cadetship. So I started writing at about that point. I was about 19, but I was doing freelance. I was doing journalism. I was mm-hmm. writing for magazines and I did a lot of that. So all through my 20s, I wrote features. I worked for a whole range of different magazines and that filled a hole for a long time. Like learning how to do that properly mm-hmm. filled that creative hole for a long time. So and when it's I was also a- practice. Honestly, it's a sensational yeah. training ground for yeah. everything because you learn deadlines, you learn yeah. dialogue, you learn so many different things that you don't even know you're taking on board. Um, but when I was about 24, I went to, no, I was 23 or 24, I was in, I was living in England and at this stage I did actually work for a magazine over there for a couple of years, but this was just in the wedge before that. I um, was working as a temp, uh, which is pretty much how you, you know, like mm. this was the other thing. I didn't have to get a pub job because I could type. Mm. So I was working at a te- as a temp and it was an incredibly boring job. I was working in Leicester. Um, I was answering phones with all of these people with kind of middle English accents that I couldn't understand half the time so I was just like putting people through to whatever number fancy I took my fancy and I was incredibly bored so I started writing a romance novel uh, while mm. I was there and I was doing it sort of like in work time if I had time I was doing it at lunchtime it was just a I'm just going to see if I can do this mm. and I wrote a romance novel whilst I worked this temp job and that for me was kind of like it's just the start of it like mm. I wrote several romance novels because I thought they made sense for me because I worked in women's magazines and I understood target audiences and I understood the the voice and I understood a whole range of things. What it turns out I didn't understand about romance novels was that the romance has to be at the forefront of them. Um, Mm -hmm. I was trying to put too much into my books, like so much into my books. And um, And so what we wanted was cut to the chase, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And yeah. Um, But I ended up winning a, a competition. I won a competition to win a mentor. And so oh, I, wow. I, with this romance thing, I sent my you know book off to the mentor and I was very excited. And uh, she basically came back to me and she just said, romance is not your thing. You need a bigger canvas. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> she said. Because she it takes a thousand pages to get there. She said, you need to go and write a hundred thousand words because this is this. you are trying to fit so much into 55,000 words here. Yeah. Um, so that's what I did. I actually then moved to writing commercial fiction and I was writing women's fiction and I sold my, I, I did sell a novel uh, to an Australian publisher and it was wow. going to be published. Yeah. Yep. And at that stage, uh, the person who bought the book, and this is something that I think you need to learn, uh, what what you need to learn as much as when, is writing a novel is also how publishing works. Mm. And that is one of the steepest learning curves that I have actually, even though I worked in journalism, that is still one of the steepest learning curves that I've had. So my, my novel was bored and I was very excited and I did all the things. And then the publisher who bought the novel left the company Mm. And my book, my, you know, manuscript was kind of orphaned at that point because if you don't have a champion to kind of like push it through the process, it got lost. Somebody else picked it up. They didn't really understand what it was all about. Well, they didn't own it. Yeah, they they hadn't bought it. Exactly. And so 
Um, unfortunately, what ended up happening with that was that it just ended up getting lost and it was, they decided that they weren't going to publish it after all. Oh, and awful. That is such a terrible Devastating. Thing. It was yeah. devastating. It really was. However, by this stage, and we're like I've jumped forward like 10 years or more here, by this stage what I had done was started writing the Mapmaker Chronicles. Right. So I had written several manuscripts for women. The first one had, you know, had been picked up, but, you know, uh, by that stage, I'd written a few. One got picked up and then it obviously didn't get published, but yeah. I had moved to children's fiction. And Why? it was in moving to that because I had children, I think. Oh, in that time, right. So what had happened was I was well set on this path of I was going to write women's fiction. It was what I was going to do. It was what I understood and I was really enjoying it. And I was, by this stage, I had a son who was about nine and like, so I'm talking about, you know, like, this yeah. takes years, this stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I blithely say I wrote, you know, three romance novels and three women's fiction novels, and mm. that did not happen in two years. No. So I've got a son now who's about nine, and he was a mad, and, and remains a, a mad reader as well. Mm. And so we read a whole lot of middle grade stuff, you know, and, and together, and we were sitting there one night, and we'd had these, uh, we had a couple of conversations that drew me to the idea of a race to map the world and a boy who didn't want to go. And I said to him, wouldn't that make an awesome story? Someone should write that. Like literally, Mm -hmm. someone should write that. And then I didn't do anything with it because I didn't write children's fiction. I didn't have any idea how to write a a series and I knew it had to be a series because it's a big story. So I just sort of like put it by the way. So like you can ignore your best ideas for a very Mm -hmm. long time because they seem hard. It seemed Mm -hmm. hard. So I didn't do anything with it. And then I was speaking to my agent at the time and I had sent her another novel and she said to me, okay, what are you going to do now? Like, what's your next thing going to be? And I said, oh, well, I'm working on this. You know, I had another women's fiction novel I was doing. Hang on a second. Had you had any of those published by now? No, because there was still the one that had been taken up for publication, but it hadn't come out. But I had had no fiction published at this stage. No fiction. See, I this written, is how resilient writers can be. Well, That's you have hard. to be. That's you have hard. to be. Yeah. I had written so many novels. Yeah. I'd, I'd had nonfiction published at this stage because yeah. my journalism skills and my, you know, that sort of stuff, I was well established in that. But this was, you know, this was a totally different, and that's the other thing, you can know how to write a book without knowing how to write a novel. It's two completely different things. So I, um, yeah, I had nothing published at this stage. She said to me, I don't suppose you have any ideas for children, do you? Because they're looking for that at the moment. Like middle grade was something that they were really looking for. Mm. And I said, I've got this random idea about map makers. And she said, oh, great, what's it about? And I said, I don't know because I haven't <laughs> written it. See, this is the other problem with me. I'm not someone who plots things out. I don't write the synopsis. I have to actually You like, fake it until you make it. I right? have to jump into it and then find out what it is. Yeah, and yeah. she goes, well, you know, write me a one-page description. I said, I can't do that. I'm going to have to write the book. So I went away and I wrote the book. And it took me six weeks to write 50,000 words because I was – so excited by it. Like and because once I it was, started it, yeah, you'd it was just the right thing. Yeah. It was the right thing at the right time. I had someone in mind to write it for. Obviously, like my son was at that stage um, reading a huge amount of kind of adventure, fantasy stuff. And it was just, um, it was the 
most fun I had ever had writing anything. And I thought, this is, this is my thing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So then you delivered it. So then I delivered it and she was like, this is brilliant. All you need to do is fix this bit in the middle because that's yeah. what agents do, right? Yeah. Um, send it back to me. So I fixed the bit in the middle. And I had read it to my son at this stage as well. And he, I'd read it out loud to him and he had told me where the boring bits were so I could remove them. So I'd done mm. that. And then she sent it out and it was it was picked up by a shed. And then it was like, you need to write three books and we're going to bring them out six months apart. So you need to get on with it. So that's what I did. Mm. Wow. And so that was the first time you'd been published? That was my first, that was my first novel. That was my first yeah. fiction ever published, yeah. Yeah, It was wow. very exciting. It was yeah. a big moment. Yeah, I can imagine. There is something about that. I was talking earlier to an author, Belinda Alexandra, actually. And oh, we, yeah. Yeah, she didn't get published until, I don't know, after nine, ten manuscripts that she'd written. But there is resilience as practice, and I guess you guys talk about this on your podcast. I mean, one thing that I always grapple with is I don't know if I could take the rejection. I mean, well, it's constant, isn't it? It is something that I've written, you know, I've blogged about this because obviously I've been blogging on my website for 10 yeah. years. I've talked about a whole range of different things, but rejection is something that goes hand in hand with being a writer yeah. and it's, you know, doesn't matter what you write. Um, and I got very used to it because I was working as a journalist and I worked with editors who had no qualms whatsoever about just putting a massive red pen strike right through the first 20 paragraphs of your story <laughs> and sending you back to do it again like it was just that's that's the kind of you know that was the kind of training that I'd had as a cadet and as a as a journalist and and so you you got very used to no it's not right and you you also got very used to it's actually not about you it's about the story and that's something that I think a lot of writers really grapple with because it's very difficult to put yourself on a page, which is what you do, particularly with fiction, you put yourself on a page and you send it out there for people to like go, yeah, no, this is not Mm. really working for me. And it's very, very difficult, but you will never, ever be a published author if you cannot grow that skin that you need, that thick skin that you need Mm. to weather the rejection. Because even after you are published, let me yeah. let me just put this out there. If review. you are review. published, well, not only review, but you're going to be rejected anyway. Like publishers mm. are not necessarily going to take every single thing that you write and go, "This is gold." We're publishing it. Like mm. sometimes it's just not working, and you've got to 
go back and figure out why um, or you need to let it go and move on to the next thing. Because I sit on the outside in a way, like I am in the publishing industry, but, you know, I'm not the writer. And I often watch those careers and the career paths and I think, and then finally you get your story out there. Finally that book is published and then everyone has an opinion about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's got an opinion about it. But that's, yeah, I mean, but that's, I don't suffer the same scrutiny. You know what no. I mean? No. my job, I don't suffer that. No, and it is a, it is a hard thing. I, I think the, the best advice you ever get is don't read your reviews ever. I mean, I mm. think that that's part of it. But it's also an understanding, I think, too, and, again, this, this comes, I guess, with practice as much as anything. It's an understanding that once you've written it, once you've done the best possible job that you can do on it, it's not yours anymore. It goes mm. to readers and it goes to people like, in my case, it goes to people like I was when I was 10. It goes to those people. They're going to like smash through a story and be like, yeah, meh, and throw it mm. over their shoulders or they're going to love it. They're going to take it to heart and it's going to live with them forever. So that's the thing. It's kind of generally speaking, you're going to go one or two ways. And I have kids come up to me and go, yeah, no, nah, look, you know, I got halfway through it and I was like, yeah, no. Nah. But then I got other ki- kids that come up to me and go, you are my favourite author. I cannot mm. tell you what it is like to have a grade five kid come up to you and go, you are my favourite author. It's mm-hmm. a huge moment. And so because you, you, you to- know, you are impacting change. You know, like I think with any writing and any story you read, there's always, you know, not a, not a lesson, but there's an experience between you and the author. Um, there but is. with children, I think that that's more powerful because you are affecting change. You are, if that child is going to continue reading or if that child's engaged and what they learn from it. And, you know, there's so much there, isn't there? Well, there is. And I, I, think, um, I think as an author for children, from my perspective, I, I just do the best job I can of, to write the best story I can. For me, a kid is looking for a story first and then they're looking for themes and lessons second, generally Agreed. speaking. Agreed. And half the time I don't even know what I've written until I get, I mean, you know, I've just mm. described my writing process, which is have a vague idea and dive in. And so half the time I, I get to the end of, you know, 60,000 words and go and don't even realise what I've written until I read back over it. And I've had interviewers say to me, oh, you know, I read this bit and I, I, I thought that, they, you know, it symbolised, you know, Quinn's lost innocence. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, of course, that's exactly yeah. what I had in mind. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you know, sometimes it does take someone else to even point it out to you mm. because you that you're drawing all of these subconscious things together in your mind and you don't even know that that until it presents itself on the page. Do you know what I like about children's books as well? And you know why I included, which is borderline I know, but they're very often um influenced by trend as well. I mean, I think so more than adult fiction. Do you agree with that? And that then I think creates so many good diverse stories because you have all the copycat stories that come after whatever the bestseller is, which is fine and that happens in adult. But in kids, there's often a richness to that copycatting and I think the reader wins in that scenario. Oh, I definitely think so too. But I, I think yeah. it's one of those things too. Like I, I find the trends in, in literature really fascinating because there's I feel like there's just this bubbling up sometimes of of ideas where, you know, you, I mean, we're going to see like obviously a run of COVID books, you know, over the next sort of year or whatever. So that's probably a very obvious choice. Mm. But you see writers that impact on 
impacted by everything that's going on around them all the time. And you don't always even understand what it is that's impacting you again until you get the story. Yeah, totally. And that's what you start to see trends in literature because of what's happening in the world. And they're obviously often a year or two later. So mm. by the time they come out, people have forgotten what it was that influenced them in the first do you place. Know, now, this is going to sound trivial, but I think I do that in cooking. Like I feel <laughs> like, no, okay. bear with me. Okay, stay with me because I'm, I'm going. going I'm, I'm with do, you all the way. Do you cook? I do, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, I read a lot. I read a lot of cookbooks. I'm, I'll read a cookbook from front to back. I read the ISBN on the back. There is, I devour a cookbook. And then I cook and I'll make something and I'll think it's absolutely original. It's so unique because I've thought of it. But in actual fact, I have picked it up in all the reading that I've been doing. Yes, that's ex- See, and that's is exactly that a good what, analogy? It yep. is a good analogy. It's exactly what happens. Like, yes. for example, the Me Too movement, like we've, we've really started to see that, particularly in adult fiction. We've seen, we've seen that come through in the last couple of, of yep. years. And I look at the Firestar, for instance, my, my new book, Maven and Reeve, and I see it in that book as well. Now, it's a middle grade book, so we're not seeing it in an obvious fashion, but what we are seeing it in is there's this... There's a group of women and girls in it, a secret club, a secret society called the Beach Circle, and they support each other. That's what they do. Their job is to support each other out of a world or out of a life that is quite stifling for them. And so for me, what came through for me too was all of those women stepping forward for each other. So, you know, take away why they were stepping forward. It was that real kind of push of support. And that's what I took out of it, I think, subconsciously and brought Mm. into my middle grade um, Mm. manuscript, whereas Mm. other people took different things from it and took it into adult fiction or took it into different, um, different ways. And so it's, I think that's, that's how it kind of works as a, a bringing together of ideas. But you do see a whole diverse, as you said, a, a diverse and rich um, element in those trends because every author is going to draw something different from what's going on based on their experiences and their lives and their, you know, their cultural um, reference points and all of that kind of stuff. So I find it fascinating. Like it's a very interesting way that that sort of like, picking up of threads of cobweb and somehow managing to spin a web out of them. I don't, I don't know how it works. Sometimes I get asked, you know, I'll, I'll be walking in the park or something and I've got a dog, so I'm often in the park and um, so people will tell me about a book. Oh, don't tell anyone the storyline, they'll say. Don't tell anyone the idea because, you know, I don't want ever anyone to copy it. And I think how little you must know about writing if you think everybody can write the same story. Well, because yeah. the beauty of it, isn't it? I can tell you to write a story about a dog in a park yeah well I can tell 10 people and every story is going to be unique because of the person of what that person brings to it like the 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 voice of the author you know which comes which comes from so many different facets of their lives and their personality and and all of you know the way they see the world um as you say we could tell the same story um Mm -hmm. 10 different ways uh because we all bring something different like obviously my story about a dog in a park would be about my dog procrasti pup who is the world's greatest writing companion and is an instagram star Mm. now we have to wrap up shortly but I want to know how you stay like you you specifically say that you write middle grade fiction right yes how do you stay in those parameters like how does that work I mean I'd 
And often, I, I mean, I don't even know what a middle grader is thinking. I mean, how do you stay there? Uh, I think it's about, it's an interesting space, the middle grade space, because we're looking at sort of anywhere between eight and 14. Uh, and that's depending a big on whether age you're writing, Yeah, depending on whether you're writing, you know, lower middle grade or upper middle grade. Like my new novel, The Firestar, is more an upper middle grade. It's yeah. quite a complicated story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got layers. There's a mystery at the top and then there's rebellions and all sorts going on underneath. So it's slightly more complicated. But it, it's, to me, it's a real sweet spot for my for my voice. Like it's kind mm. of like where where I like to settle. I don't make language choices that are, you know, I don't sit there and think, oh, that word's too hard for kids. Mm. I, I write the story as I think the story needs to be written. I don't obviously with that age group, I'm not looking at including like a whole lot of really dark, you know, mm. gritty themes. I'm not looking at including explicit kind of sexual relationships um, when I say language choices, I'm not, there's, there's not, there's no swearing. I mean, obviously my worlds are sort of slightly alternate history so I can create my own swear words, which is quite fun. Um, so it's about sort of like writing the kind of story that I would have loved to have read when I was 10 or that my mm. boys would have loved to have read when they were 10. The beauty of this age group, and this is what I love most about it, is that they are on the cusp of the greatest adventure of all time, which of course is growing up of mm. coming through those teenage years. And so adventure novels for me, for them, are, are just the perfect fit because you can write vivid, you know, big stories that um, that take on a lot of fears for them, but in a, way, in a way that, you know, that can be under the covers with their torch and then mm. in their minds they're adventuring, you know, into great and wonderful places. So you can be very, very brave um, mm. when you're reading a book like mm. mine because, you know, my, my and I, I try to write characters that are, you know, believable. They, mm. they have fears, they have, they have things that they have to overcome, all of those sorts of things are within worlds that are, you know, fantastic. It is, and it's a great age group too. It's really oh, it's you know, wonderful. It's They're so responsive, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I love going to school visits with those yeah. with this age group as well yeah. because they will tell you what they think. Yeah, like you know, as I was saying, we were talking about the thick skin. Yeah, you really need one if you're standing yeah. in front of thirty ten-year-old boys because they will tell you what they think. <laughs> they will. <laughs> they will. Well, Alison, that was an absolute pleasure. I enjoyed our chat very, very much. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know how busy you are, so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a a wonderful opportunity to talk. I love talking about reading and writing, and talking about writing is so much more fun than actually doing it sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like getting up to wash the dishes, isn't it? Exactly. (laughs) Thank you, Alison Tate. Okay, thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you 
to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.